This is Behind the Curtain at LA Opera. I'm your host, Brian Lauretsen. On this edition of the podcast, I'm joined by tenor Ben Bliss, who is singing the role of Tamino in LA Opera's production of Mozart's The Magic Flute. Bliss tells me there are opera singers in his family, and he grew up avoiding the art form until one day, as a film major who sang in the choir at Chapman University, he reluctantly did an audition. I was like, okay, I'll try out for the opera. As a film major, you don't really think you have time for that. But anyway, my friend Tim came running out of the music school a couple days later. He was like, dude, you got Tamino. And I was like, is there a cure? I didn't know what he was talking about. (laughs) (laughs) And so... um, so I did Magic Flute for my first opera at Chapman, and once I was inside the opera and the opera world, I really, really enjoyed it. Tenor Ben Bliss joins me now. You started here as, uh, was it the Domingo Colburn Stein then, or was it Domingo Thornton when you were here? Uh, it was Domingo Thornton Young Artist Program when I was here, uh, and I started in, I believe, August of 2011, and my last show here was Dulce Rosa, which is a Lee Holdridge opera that we completed in June of 2013. What was that experience like? Um, how, how did you become a, a young artist here? Well, long version or short version? <laughs> Love the long version, please. All right, I'll, I'll give you the condensed long version. Um, so my mom, Judy Bliss, sings in the uh, chorus of the Lyric Opera of Kansas City, has forever and ever, as long as I've been alive. And so when I was a kid, my whole house was very musical. My, my aunt is a singer and voice teacher, and my grandmother was a singer. Oh, boy, this isn't sounding condensed already. <laughs> So anyway, we had a very musical house, and I was in choir all the time, and I really didn't enjoy going to my mom's operas that much because it was something I sort of had to do, which is embarrassing to talk about now. But um, anyway, when I got to high school, I was in choir, and I was heavily involved in theater, and I really got super, super interested in filmmaking, and I decided that I wanted to study that, and uh, the best place to do it was Southern California. And uh, I found a school in Orange County called Chapman University that would give you, uh, you could get a choir scholarship while not being a music major. Hmm. So I applied for that, and the dean of the, the, dean of the music school, Bill Hall, uh, who's actually, they're opening the new, uh, the Musco Center for the Performing Arts down in uh, Orange County there, and he's the big spearhead of that great guy and really kind of helped set my life in a different direction. He started calling my house every week. And saying, hey, uh, have you gotten your package yet? Have you gotten this, that? Are you planning on coming to Chapman? Come to Chapman, come to Chapman. It totally worked. Ended up at Chapman. And I showed up for choir the first day. And he introduced me to my voice teacher. I was not planning on taking voice lessons. Um, and this is another guy who completely like, shaped my life. is Patrick Gazer. Um, and my sophomore year taking voice lessons and being in, ended up being two choirs. Patrick told me that if I didn't try out for the opera, he would lower my grade to like a B or a C or something. And so I was like, okay, I'll try out for the opera. As a film major, you don't really think you have time for that. But anyway, my friend Tim came running out of the music school a couple days later. He was like, dude, you got Tamino. And I was like, is there a cure? I didn't know what he was talking about. <laughs> <laughs> and so, um, so I did Magic Flute for my first opera at Chapman. And once I was inside the opera and the opera world, I really, really enjoyed it. So um, I added a music minor and 
did Albert Herring my junior year, and then my senior year uh, went back and focused on finishing my film degree. Moved up to L.A. and worked in production for the Dr. Phil show for three years, and uh, that was really educational for me in a lot of ways, in like a business sense and in just like a professional, in a professional handling yourself type of way. Um, and after two and a half years there, I had moved up in a couple different positions, and I didn't really see a great future for myself in it. I wasn't really happy with the work that I was doing, and the opportunity came for me to jump over back into the music field, which uh, I really had been missing. So I went down to Patrick Gazer, and I said, I'm a singer now, because he'd been telling me to be a singer forever and ever. <laughs> and um, so I helped him drywall his garage in exchange for voice lessons that summer, and I like to say, I like to call it octopusing. I octopused and I reached out all my tentacles to everyone and I sang for everybody. And I, I used the hustling skills I had learned getting into the, the film business, film and TV, and sang a bunch of different things. And eventually one of the things led to another thing, which led to somebody saying, you should call Josh Winograd at LA Opera and tell him, a friend of mine, Daniel Walks, said he went to school with him. Tell Josh, I said, he should hear you sing. So I took a break, uh, a day off from working at the Lego store, which I don't know if I'm allowed to say that was the best job I've ever had. That was an awesome job, (laughs) temporarily at least. Uh, So I came down and sang for Josh, and we had a long conversation about my plans and where I was in life and, you know, where I wanted to be. And I came back down a week later and sang for Christopher Kelsch, I believe, and then came down a third time and sang for Josh and Christopher and Placido. And Placido invited me to join the program. And that was um, April or May of 2011, and my last day. Actually, since I've been here in L.A. for this contract, I celebrated my five-year anniversary of my last day working in television. That was January 28th, 2011. So, um, hit the ground running here, and I was a very dry sponge in a very wet environment. had a lot to learn, and just enjoyed every minute of it. That's an amazing story. It's the long version. Sorry. <laughs> no, that's good. I like it. Um, you know, from from wanting to avoid singing to kind of singing to Dr. Phil and Legos, and then here you are. It's That's an amazing, amazing journey. It was quite a digesis, you know. It was um, – I wasn't interested in opera when I was a kid, and when I got to Chapman, I remember hearing – yeah, you know, if you work really hard as a singer, when you're about 30, maybe you'll find out if if you've got a real shot at it or not. And being 18, I was like, well, that makes that an easy decision. Yeah. And I still really enjoyed it, but um but yeah, here here I am. <laughs> that's amazing. You uh competed in Operalia as well. Um that's Placido Domingo's uh, opera competition. He seems to really be extraordinarily passionate about uh, fostering the next generation of singers. Um, That must be your experience working with him. It absolutely is. I mean, I was a little intimidated coming to sing for him the first time, as, as you might be, especially as a young, rather inexperienced singer. And with, with all the respect in the world for the man that I have, um, friends afterwards asked me like, well, how was it? Was he intimidating? Dr. Phil is kind of an intimidating guy at, at times. But meeting and singing for Placido, it was kind of like meeting Santa Claus. He was just like the warmest, friendliest guy. And our pianist was a few minutes late to the first audition. And so he said, hey, what will you sing? And uh, I said, Eco Ridente from Barbara Seville. And he says, ah, Eco Ridente. And then he goes down to the piano and starts playing it. Of course. And my audition, in quotations, began with he and I having a sing-along. 
Um, and so the opera world in general, in addition to benefiting from his enormous talent and passion, uh, will continue to benefit, I believe, from his passion for the future and the longevity of the, not only the art form, but the artists who are a part of it. Mm-hmm. That's really well said. Um, and that's, you know, all of our experience here covering the company as well. You know, he, he makes himself available. He's the like the busiest guy in all of classical music, but he still, you know, stops by. Like if we have a live broadcast or something of something, he'll always want us to just stop by and say hi and you know, he, he loves the idea that opera is still on the radio, even in 2016 and all of that. Um, so it must be an extreme pleasure for you to uh, to have worked with him and to, to sing on stage with him as, as you have done. Absolutely, yeah. In my last year as a young artist, uh, I got to do two projects with him. One of them was Dulce Rosa, which he conducted, but the other one was Idue Foscari, where we had a, it was a small scene, but I got to come on stage and it was just he and I, and I delivered a message to him as the messagerio. And it, it's, it's been really a treat. There's a picture of it in the LA Times, which my parents framed, nice. <laughs> you know. So yeah, it's, it's really neat just to have, to feel like uh, he's on my side and I'm on his side. And you've sung the Met as well. That's right. Yeah. After I finished the Young Artist Program here in L.A., I had some doors open to uh, continue my professional training in the Lindemann Young Artist Development Program at the Metropolitan Opera, which was another incredibly fruitful and enriching experience for me in terms of my, my craft and my understanding and my passion for the work. And during my time at the Met, I had the opportunity to sing the role of Vogelgesang in Die Meistersinger von Nuremberg, which was my Met debut, uh, which was a really fabulous experience with Maestro Levine conducting. Mm. And uh, almost directly after the last show here in L.A., I'll go back to the Met and sing Belmonte in Die Entführung aus dem Seraglio, another Mozart opera. Mozart has become kind of my wheelhouse, which I... Sure to appreciate. <laughs> yeah, I was going to ask because I was looking at uh, the roles that you've been singing and, and there's a lot of Mozart there. Um, Mozart, what's it like for the voice? I've talked to some singers who, who say it's, um, it's sort of a therapeutic thing to sing um, for both physically but also for the soul. Um, I've talked to singers who think that it's wonderful but extremely difficult and challenging and intimidating to sing. I imagine it's, it's sort of all of those things, I guess. Singing Mozart is, it it's, it feels very precise at times. Sometimes if you go and you sing something that's bel canto, I mean, there's still a lot of precision that needs to be a part of what you're doing. But um, there's a little more room for some stretching and some pulling and some, uh, you know, make your high notes a little longer if you want to. But Mozart is, I won't say it doesn't need that. It just is perfect as it sits on the page. Uh, on every level, you, it's like an onion. You can keep peeling it back, and there's meaning, and there's depth, and there's this simplicity and incredibly complex perfection about it. And as far as singing it, um, a word I hear a lot from other singers about singing Mozart is that it's very exposed. There's nowhere to hide, so to speak. Um, but at the same time, if, if your voice is one that is well-suited for Mozart... Um, even if it's not, a lot of singers do say, oh, yeah, you know, I went and I did a Traviata and I did a Bohem, then I did, uh, you know, uh, maybe a, a Fliegende Holländer or something like that. Coming back to Mozart, it just kind of lines everything back up and it makes everything else, it gives, it gives the entire operatic ove a sort of depth and a symmetry that 
it's it's hard to describe, but it's it's perfect. He's mm. the supreme puzzle master. He's the best. Architectural, maybe. Yeah, in some ways, but in this, at the same time, so human and organic, and um, and not overly sort of mental. You know, it, it's not it's not too thought out, but at the same time, it had to have been because it's so perfect. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I like I like that way of thinking about it. The magic flute. What do you make of this opera? It it has complexity and depth. It has the the symbolism side of things, the Masonic stuff. It has, well, to be quite honest, racism and sexism. It has love. It has you know kind of a, a little bit of everything. But there is something something there that that makes it sort of not difficult to approach. But just just when you're watching it, you're, these things pop out at you, and you're like, why why is it that way? And yet the music is so incredible. Like the story, I don't know, the stories can be, can be bothersome, I guess, with some of the elements that are contained in it. And yet it's like Mozart's most exquisite score. Right. The Magic Flute is an absolute duality, an absolute conundrum, uh, dramatically speaking. I mean, one of the things that popped into my head during this time is, okay, so as Tamino, the trials and everything that Tamino goes through, he's able to succeed because he has, of course, the magic flute, which is given to him in the beginning of the opera by the villain, right? Who also gives him the three knob and the three boys who are like the spirit guides through this confusing world, which again, make it possible for him to then turn around and sort of like figuratively defeat the queen of the night with his truth and wisdom and everything. It's very strange. And I was doing some reading on it. Uh, I have a, a book on its way to me from Amazon that I'm looking forward to reading. But some other reading was talking about how there was a, a similar opera uh, about a bassoonist. I don't know if it was a magic bassoon or anything, but that opera was scheduled to open right around the time that the magic flute was opening. So when Mozart and his librettists were going through this, they sort of did a 90 degree turn at the end of act one and decided to have it go the way it goes, as opposed to where it was going to be going, which I don't know where that was supposed to be, but yeah, there are, there are lots of things to be confused about. It doesn't quite go in a straight line. At the end of the opera, Pamina is praised as being worthy through truth and wisdom with Tamino sort of like take over for Zarastro and be this enlightened creature. While at the same time, there's the line in the opera, ein Weib tut wenig plaudert viel. A woman does little, but you know, chatters a lot. And it's like, come on, man. Like, <laughs> come down on one side or the other. <laughs> it is strange that it basically doesn't make any sense at all, but it's the most popular one. And in a weird way, there's like an extra step back of suspending your disbelief that just as a complete work makes it kind of like this fun thing where you can connect the dots well enough to just follow along, you know? Mm-hmm. This production um, is uh, amazing, hilarious. Um, did you see it when it was here a couple of years ago, or were you were at the Met then? Yeah, unfortunately, I wasn't here for it, but I remember getting my Starbucks in Astoria and picking up the, the New York Times and flipping to the arts section and seeing my friends here from LA Opera on the front page. And I was so proud and thought to myself then, geez, I hope I can do that show sometime. That looks like fun. You can't be afraid of heights for this one, right? Luckily, I'm not too bad with heights. Claustrophobia, a little bit, but I was talking to Jonathan Mickey, our Papageno, and, uh, you know, you get up there and you're strapped in and you've got this heavy-duty harness on and you know you're not going to go anywhere, but I I told him, I was like, you know what, I'm going to get up there and the whole set's going to fall down and I'm going to die. I mean, (laughs) 
what am I going to worry about that through my aria? Just like, what a way to go, you know? Just just go with it. You can't, you don't have, nobody's got time to be afraid. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's plenty of photos on the LA Opera website, but sort of could you describe the experience from your point of view for us? Yeah, actually, uh, just the other day, uh, a video was posted on LA Opera that I, I had a, a GoPro camera on a hard hat. Nice. And uh, walked up into the guts of the stage and get strapped into this little door that's on a 360 degree swivel and they turn it around and then I'm standing on a little ledge that's about uh, 18 inches it sticks out from the the wall about 18 inches and it's about 12 feet off the ground and uh, yeah it's pretty uh, it's pretty cool it's kind of nice up there and I mean if you like look up if you look straight out you can't quite see the ground in your peripheral vision and so yeah it's it's kind of a trip <laughs> is there any part of you that is at all thinking about the physicality of that situation and did you have to sort of learn through the rehearsal process like okay I can't worry about this I have to trust this equipment and then just sing a hundred percent well I don't have to do too awful much singing from up there but but again some, some other colleagues were a little more they took a little more getting used to and I mean not that I'm like so hardcore or anything like that but I just got up and I was like hey man I got to keep in touch with the conductor and the hundred people in the pit he's talking to and, you know, try and try and sing well and try and be in character and, you know, hit all my marks with the video and everything like that. And so it was it was easy for me to just forget about that and leave it behind, you know, awesome. um, more Tominos in your future. Yeah, there are. There are. I think at least two or three coming up. I don't know that there are any that I'm specifically allowed to talk about yet. <laughs> okay, sure. But yeah, there's there's some Taminos and some some other good Mozart stuff, and there's some Stravinsky and a little bit of a little bit of Wagner. So I'm really really pleased with um, with with what's going to be the projects that are going to be coming up for me. It's kind of weird to have you know a year ago been thinking, okay, well you know I hope this works out, and then. Fast forward a year and I'm booked until 2019, which is nice. which is exciting and weird and uh, you know just kind of it's just like the the set here, you know. It's like all right, well, I'm doing this, so um, here we go. <laughs> Tenor Ben Bliss is singing the role of Tamino in L.A. Opera's current production of Mozart's The Magic Flute. The highly technical, visually arresting, and hilarious production by Suzanne Andrade and Barry Kosky features animations by Paul Barrett and is running through March 6th at the Dorothy Chandler Pavilion. Details right here at laopera.com. This is Behind the Curtain at L.A. Opera. I'm your host, Brian Lauritsen.